So the Bears are three and two. They're finally over 500 for the first time since December 27, 2020. So it's been about 10 months. We're approaching that mark anyway or that time frame but what's up guys welcome into the fireside bears podcast Sade koshal and joe herfrey you can follow us on twitter youtube facebook tiktok and instagram at fireside bears make sure you're following myself and joe herf on twitter at usaid koshal and at joseph herf nfl joe it's been a while it's been a week it's just me and you again this week but what's going on how you doing good man how are you I'm doing well. That was a really short introduction right there because hey, you know, I was going to bounce off of it. Sorry. I'm also trying to eat and drink at the same time. So I'm not trying to not trying to talk with my mouth full. I'm trying to have my little uh, my my uh, Kodiak muffin power cup, double dark chocolate. Very good workout. Yeah, Kodiak Muffin Power Cup. I was at uh, high school football practice today, which I thought is just so weird. It, it, would, it honestly felt so, I'm not going to disclose the high school, but it felt so different being at like a high school practice and then being at what I'm traditionally used to when it comes to football practice, which is like driving up to Hallis Hall and watching the Bears pretty much whenever I can. But man, I mean, let's get right into this game because the Bears go ahead and they march into Vegas. They were the more physical team. They were a team that dominated seemingly for all four quarters. I mean, Justin Fields had a couple great throws. So we're going to be breaking down Justin Fields' growth. Khalil Mack finally getting his revenge on the now Las Vegas Raiders, the possibility of the Bears secondary improving. And then is there a chance that the potential that Khalil Herbert, the sixth round rookie he's a running back that running back Kalu herbert flash is he gonna make Tariq cohen expendable so lots of cool bears content and make sure you guys check out empire sports media too but i know first things first you guys are gonna make sure that i hear all about it and i know that sam's gonna be really disappointed and he's gonna text me if he doesn't because Sam's going to listen to the episode because he's not on this one, but he's going to go and listen on Apple and Spotify for whatever reason. And I know he's going to be disappointed if I let the fact go that Justin Fields' first touchdown was to your boy, Jesper Horstead. Not even just his first touchdown. His first touchdown of his career was to Jesper Horstead. When Justin Fields is in the Hall of Fame one day, it is going to be etched in the record books that his first ever touchdown was to also fellow Hall of Famer Jesper Horstead. Absolutely awesome. Super cool. And that's what happens when you put on put players on the field that you get to practice with every day. And that's what happens when you don't practice with the ones. Yeah, I thought that, okay, so the touch on that, and t- let's just break it down because, again, that is kind of an iconic moment because it's like Justin Fields' first ever regular season touchdown. The play design was really simple. I mean, you go back and you look at it. Jesper Horstead, I think, was the second read in that play. And, yeah, while he was trying to get it out to a wide receiver, ultimately he just saw Horstead there. And I think the key thing that sticks out there, and we'll get to this in a couple minutes here too, was just Justin Fields' ball placement because – there's two ways that play could have gone. A, it's either a touchdown catch or B, the Raiders defensive back completely just bats it down. I thought that when you look at that play, the ball placement was perfect. And also Justin kind of put it in a, it was a tight window, but Justin seemingly went up and gave Jesper Horstead a chance. And when we talk about size amongst these tight ends on the Bears roster, I mean, you had bigger players like that are six, five, six, 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 seven, you know, like a Jimmy Graham, a Cole Komet. You could throw Jesse James in there. Certainly JP Holtz too, who's become a really good blocking tight end, 
But then you have this guy, you have a player in Jesper Horstead, I should say, who's like, whatever, 6'3", 240. Not the biggest guy on the field, not the biggest tight end either, but certainly seems to play much bigger than he actually is. Yeah, for sure. And he and like, like you were saying about that pass, I wanted to touch on that too and the perfect placement. It wasn't an easy catch either. Justin absolutely rifled that ball into that tight window, like you were saying. And Horsehead made a great catch. Like, it looked very simple if you're looking at it, like, from the sideline, obviously, just looking at that. But he went up and snagged that quick. And it, it was in that tight window. It was obviously he had to have a quick reaction, good hands. It was a great catch. And, yeah, Horsehead is kind of more of that hybrid wide receiver tight end that we kind of needed. Jimmy Graham really hasn't translated this year into that U tight end role. So, to see Jesper Horsehead get some action due to J.P. Holtz and Jesse James being out, it was much needed. He he definitely needs to see the field more. I get it. Only one touchdown, not a big deal. But to be fair, he has more touchdowns than any tight end on the Bears roster does at this moment. So definitely need to see more action from him. Definitely would like to see him split out wide more. And obviously, Justin Fields has a good connection with him. Like I was saying, due to the fact that he was practicing with him before the season started and he wasn't getting that time with Cole Komet and Jimmy Graham. So would like to see him out there more for sure. We saw him develop that connection with a few other guys like Rodney Adams, Jesse James, but obviously Jesse James has been out uh, for a personal reason. And Rodney Adams is a practice squad player. So get him get him with players out there that he has connections with. It would be nice to see him establish that connection, keep it going. And while he gets warmed up to the players that he's now getting used to in Darnell Mooney, Al Robinson, and Marquise Goodwin. Yeah, so I want to touch on the tight ends here for a second because I think that when – so you mentioned horse. That's kind of like the hybrid tight end in this group. And again, he is kind of the wild card, but also I think we have to understand something is that players like Cole Komet and Jimmy Graham were brought in specifically because at the time when they were brought in, the assumption was that the bears were going to be running the Matt Nagy offense. And obviously the bears have, fully gotten away or it seems like they fully gotten away from the Matt Nagy offense. Again, it's the bears we're talking about. I'm not trying to be a Debbie downer here, but things could certainly change. I mean, they could go on a nice winning streak here. And then all of a sudden, next thing you know, you're looking up and you're hosting Baltimore at home or San Francisco in week eight, week nine, you're on the road week. I believe it's nine or 10 in Pittsburgh. And you look up and all of a sudden Matt Nagy's the guy calling plays again, nothing's off the table when it comes to the bears, but guys like Graham and Komet were brought in specifically. So the bears could run the Matt Nagy offense. And it's seemingly now more and more, we're seeing that their roles have now changed to being blocking tight ends rather than any sort of receiving tight ends. And I think that really speaks to the shift that we've seen philosophically in what the bears are trying to do now. 50% of it, I think is, the Bears know that the running game is the strength of the roster and of the offense. The other 50% of it is that Bill Lazor's calling plays and is not going to go five wide without any sort of max protection for Justin Fields. I think that when you look at Bill Lazor's game plans, a lot of it is predicated on ensuring, hey, we know what's best for Justin Fields, but we also want to continue to protect him. In essence, we're going to go ahead and we're going to develop Justin Fields, but we're also going to do what's best for him and protect him. That's not necessarily what Matt Nagy was doing. That's a great point because not only is he protecting, he's putting Justin Fields in the best situation to develop and succeed. So with that max protection being said, he's not getting murdered every time he drops back to pass like he was against the Cleveland Browns. He's dropping back. He's having a lot of time. Most of the time, obviously, sometimes there's a blitz that doesn't get picked up and he can get hit. It happens. It happened against the Raiders a few times. But regardless, 
most of the time when he drops back, he has the time to pass. Now, obviously, due to the fact that there's max protection, there's less wide receivers running routes. But that's also to help Justin Fields because that means he has to make less complicated reads. He only has a few players to check to to see if they're open. And if they're not open, he takes off and runs or he throws it away. And it's made it very simple for him and very easy for him to adjust. So the way Bill Lazor is using this offense, and like you're saying, the way the tight ends are being used is a very good way at this moment just to get Justin Fields ready. And I'm sure those tight ends know about it. You see Jimmy Graham blocking better than he probably has ever in his career. Did an awesome game blocking against the Raiders. And Cole Komet's doing his job. He's doing his wide tight end job of getting his nose dirty and absolutely plowing through defenders. So I'm just enjoying how the way Bill Lazor is doing this. And obviously it sucks that the tight ends aren't getting a lot of action, but that's just how it is at this time until Justin Fields is ready. Yeah, and one thing that I thought was apparent, I mean, if you go back and you look at any game and you watch the All-22 and you look at the play-by-play sheet, there's going to be key plays throughout the game. Now, we talk all the time about, okay, Justin Fields' growth. If you look at week four against the Lions, the Bears threw the ball just 17 total times. And then if you look at week five against the Raiders, Justin Fields threw the ball 20 times. Now, the reason I bring it up is because are the Bears such a run-first team right now to the point where the offensive philosophy is probably 60-40 or 70-30 in favor of the run? Yeah, But also, when you look at it, there were some moments and instances in this game where you're like, okay, these are a couple plays where Justin Fields screw. And I think the biggest one that sticks out would be the Bears' second-to-last possession in the fourth quarter where it's a third and 12. And yeah, that was a drive that lasted, I think, nearly six or seven minutes, ended up being a um, field goal kick for Cairo Santos, who, by the way, is one of the most consistent kickers in the NFL right now, which is totally fine because other Bears fans or other fans clowned the Bears for Cody Parkey. But if you look at that second last Bears, I mean, it was 10 plays, 57 yards, took about six minutes, 16 seconds off the clock. But Justin hit... Darnell Mooney in sh- not necessarily in stride, but he had the ball out before Darnell Mooney even got to or even got out of his break. And there were three Raiders defenders there. And so ultimately, that's something that you look at and you're like, okay, that's growth right there because Justin found a tight window, fitted in there, was accurate, displayed the ability to place the ball perfectly. And then it really speaks to chemistry and it shows that, okay, he might not have been able to make that third and 12 throw a couple weeks ago, but you see just within a two to three week time period, now he's able to do it. Not only did it show his improvement on being able to jump on that, it showed his ability to be able to read the defense pre-snap. He instantly, it could have been the play call easily, but he instantly knew that Darnell Mooney was going to be open in between that zone coverage. Now, again, it could have been the play call. Mooney could have been the read. But to play the benefit of the doubt here, Fields put that. He knew instantly that Mooney was going to be streaking between the two zone coverages, and he'd be right smack dab in the middle, and he'd be open for a split second. So he definitely had some sort of anticipation that he either read the defense or he was told right away, hey, this is going to be open. They're running this coverage. Now, it's very hard to kind of guess the exact covers the defense is going to throw out there before the play starts. So my guess is field saw the defense. As soon as he dropped back, he saw their, what they were dropping into and he saw that zone and fit it right in there. So not only is he improving on that, he's also improving on his ability to throw the ball quickly, release it quickly and get it out where that was his biggest issue in college. He liked to hold onto the ball too long, kind of throw it deep again, no problem. But this past game, he was definitely getting the ball out quicker hitting those players before they got out of their breaks and not waiting too long before they recovered looked a lot better. Again, 
the growth that we are seeing from already just in two and a half games basically is incredibly impressive. Yeah, and it really speaks volumes. So I think when the Bears drafted Justin Fields, the day after Ohio State head coach Ryan Day spoke to the Chicago media and basically called Fields a generational talent. And when sitting in that press conference, I think that term right there really stuck out to me because it was all about, hey, Justin Fields college head coach believes that this kid is a generational talent, despite slipping all the way to the 11th overall pick. And then throughout the summer, whenever Justin's speaking to the media, you hear comments being made like, yeah, he's a quick learner. He's a guy that won't make the same mistake twice. He's doing everything he needs to in order to come in and succeed. And I know some people are going to be like, oh, well, the hard worker part something that we heard with a guy like Mitch Trubisky, but it's different here because Mitch Trubisky, and I'm I'm not comparing the two, by the way. I'm just saying it's a valid observation, right? Is that we hear all the time as Bears fans and writers and analysts, okay, so-and-so is a hard worker, so-and-so is a leader, so-and-so is doing everything he can to help this team win. But the reality is that very few guys actually come in and they make those mistakes and then they bounce back and they continue to get better. I think that that's what makes Justin Fields different is we know what the talent is, we know what the athleticism is, but then we also recognize and understand that, hey, when he makes a mistake, it's probably the first and the last time that you're going to see Justin Fields make a mistake because he is a really quick learner. And you can just see the growth there day by day. He is getting smarter and smarter as time has progressed. And really having this starting job full time now is only going to help his cause. For sure. And one of the underrated aspects that's going to make Justin Fields so great and is helping him grow so quick is his confidence. So you get these kind of players that come off as cocky. Fields does not come off as cocky at all. He only came off cocky one time. That was during his interview when a quote that he said it was completely misinterpreted, and everybody thought he was cocky, saying the NFL was too easy for him. He has always been quietly confident. He does not like to talk about how good he is. He always puts his head down and just goes to work. Now, he has the great balance of – we had the polar opposites in back-to-back quarterbacks. We had Jay Cutler, who was – the he wasn't necessarily allowed, but he always said it how it was, and he said multiple times in multiple times in an interview how good he was, how he could fit any ball into a tight window, yada yada yada. He thought he was awesome, and he didn't care. Then we had Trubisky, who cared way too much, and he let everything get to him. Again, he didn't follow that fine line. He got offended very easily. He wanted the TVs turned off. As that popular quote came around, I believe it was two years ago in 2019, and. He was not not to be rude. He was kind of sensitive. So Fields has that balance where he has the confidence of Cutler without being a jag. And then he has the like quiet, like reserved manner of Trubisky without being too soft. He's got the perfect blend of those two that's going to help him develop because he's not going to let things get to him easily. He's not going to when he has a good game, he's not going to be like, oh, I'm the best now. He's going to keep working and he's going to keep improving. So he is going to be his own best friend in terms of his growth just due to his attitude alone. Yeah, and, and those uh, those attributes are clearly noteworthy because it's like to get into a point where, you know, they say to play, to play quarterback in the NFL is hard enough. But I think we also have to keep in mind is that people don't talk enough about what it means to play quarterback in the city of Chicago and how you can either be the best person ever or the worst person ever and how polarizing the 
quarterback position is here in Chicago. I mean, you look around other fan bases, it's like, I don't know of another team or another fan base that cares and is as dedicated as much to the quarterback position and getting it right as the Bears seemingly are. Because there has been multiple times throughout the Ryan Pace era where it has been multiple swings. And then it's like you go back and you look at Lovey, the Lovey Smith era, and I'll use that as a quick example here, where the Bears effectively through the Lovey Smith era cycled through three starting quarterbacks, Rex Roseman, Kyle Orton, and Jay Cutler. And so to play quarterback in Chicago is just really polarizing because you know that one minute everyone's going to love you, the next minute they are absolutely going to go ahead and hate you. But it seems like things are stabilizing and things are going to continue to stabilize. Why? Because you could make an argument right now that if Justin, if you go back and look at all the Bears drafts, Justin Fields is probably, and I'm saying since I want to say 2000, you could seriously make the argument that Justin's the most talented draft prospect the Bears have drafted in round one over the last 21 years. Yeah, 100%. And people will kind of point to the fact that, okay, we drafted Trubisky second overall. We've had these top 10 picks. How is nobody else compare? Nobody has had all the traits that Justin has coming into the NFL. Yet Kevin White, he's probably one of the most physical athletic prospects we've ever drafted. He was an absolute freak of an athlete, but he didn't have the route running together. And he obviously had the injury issue. Outside of that, Roquan Smith has been another polarizing one. He was absolute freak. And he's obviously displaying that in the NFL as well. But Fields has everything at the most important position in the NFL. He has the athleticism, the strength, the arm strength, the accuracy, the ability to read a defense. He has every trait you want in a quarterback already. He is easily, easily the most polarizing prospect we've drafted. And again, there's going to be positive and negative narratives around Justin Fields. And while we're sitting here talking about the future of the Bears franchise, I also think it is noteworthy that I saw something on Twitter today where someone that you know I'm good friends with basically talked about how, yeah, Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers, as well as the GM, John Lynch, well, they're all a bunch of clowns because they gave up more to go ahead and draft Trey Lance than the Bears did for Justin to move up and trade with the Giants and draft Justin Fields. But I think that when we do talk about that, because the reality is that, you know, people are still seemingly livid and arguing over what happened in the 2017 draft between the 49ers, Mitch Trubisky, the Bears, and then Ryan Pace and John Lynch. That's one thing. But I also think that another point of discussion is that, okay, cool. You're not wrong in saying that the 49ers did give up more to draft, move up and draft Trey Lance compared to the Bears, who basically gave up a first round pick, swapped first round picks, and then gave up a future first round pick as well as a fourth round pick. Whereas the 49ers effectively gave up, I think it was like what, two first round picks, and they swapped first round picks with the Miami Dolphins in 2021. But the point I'm making here is this, is that to move from 20 to 11 is nine spots, to move from 12 to three is nine spots. But moving from 12 to three is always in terms of NFL draft value and the draft value chart. Moving from 12 to three is always going to be more expensive than moving from 20 to nine. Yeah, and I can't fault the 49ers at all for taking Trey Lance. Absolutely absolutely love him as a prospect. He probably, he, he and Justin Fields are very close to me for being the second quarterback on my rankings. Number one was obviously Trevor Lawrence. Number two was obviously Justin Fields, but Trey Lance was right behind him. 
with then a pretty big gap between him and Zach Wilson. But Trey Lance has all the traits also. He's just like Justin Fields, except with just less experience. So he has the Kyle Shanahan now has the ability to mold Trey Lance into the exact type of quarterback he wants, which is kind of which makes it not like necessarily better than Justin Fields, but it's not like like Justin Fields obviously has some bad tendencies. He had the tendency of not getting rid of the ball quickly enough. Trey Lance doesn't have any of those bad tendencies because he's very raw. So as like as Kyle Shanahan can do, he can take him and mold him to the way he wants him to and make him fit the offense perfectly that he wants. Whereas Justin Fields sort of needs an offense right now that is best suited for him. Yeah, that's a really good point. And by the way, I mean, I think that when we talk Bears Raiders, one of the things that you absolutely cannot ignore is that Khalil Mack, I think, had the biggest revenge game of all time because he was all over the field. I know Robert Quinn got the party started by going ahead and um, basically getting after Raiders running back Josh Jacobs, basically tackling Jacobs for no gain but then after that it was pretty much the Khalil Mack show I mean Khalil Mack had a sack he had a sack that wasn't counted on a two-point conversion there was another instance where a lot of people thought it was going to be a sack but a sack's usually behind the line of scrimmage or at the line of scrimmage it's not beyond the line of scrimmage after that it gets counted as a tackle but Khalil Mack was effectively all over the place and he did this with two sprained or I think it was like a rib injury and then a foot or a knee injury and so Ultimately, I think Khalil Max playing at a high level right now, it's good for the Bears because any talk of him declining or regressing or not playing at a high level in 2019 and 2020 can absolutely go out the window. And then let me just add this aspect in too. I think that if your evaluation and your criteria for judging a pass rusher is based solely on the sack numbers and that one stat, I think you need to reevaluate everything because at the end of the day, Khalil Mack is still may not finish it off with a sack, but he's really consistent when it comes to making the quarterback get out of the pocket, frustrating the quarterback, getting those pressures, those quarterback hits, those tackles for loss, those hurries, all those hidden things that may not show up on a stat sheet unless you're looking at advanced analytics. Yeah, and on top of his like pass rushing ability in that game, he had more tackles in that game than he's had all season. He had six tackles on the entire season in the four games previous, and he had eight total in the he had eight combined tackles in the game against the Raiders. He was all over the field. He was swarming. He was an absolute revenge game. He had an awesome game. And again, those sack numbers, again, he only had one sack, but the amount of pressure he was creating and flustering Derek Carr. I can't remember who said the quote. I believe it was I want to say it was one of the Bosa's, if I remember correctly. One of them said, if you get in Derek Carr's face and you scare him with a pass rush, he shuts down. Something along those lines was the quote. But that's what the Bears did. Khalil Mack led the way, and he absolutely just got in Derek Carr's face all the time, and the Raiders' offense had no shot of doing anything. And they stopped the run. Like, okay, yes, Josh Jacobs had a touchdown, but he only had 47 yards rushing. They absolutely shut down the Raiders' offense, and it, was all, it wasn't all it was all Khalil Mack, but a lot of it had to do with Khalil Mack's revenge game that he had. And Eddie Jackson said this after the game, that, hey, listen, Khalil Mack made the Raiders regret everything. But I think when we talk about a Khalil Mack revenge game, we also have to look at something else is that the bad taste of that Bears Raiders game in London in 2019, which by the way, was the result of Jesper Horstead and Anthony Miller messing up at critical times, but more so Anthony Miller because he had the one like unsportsmanlike conduct penalty after chucking the ball into the end zone. 
um that game the bad taste of it is still in the mouths of these bears players because if you remember that game and i remember it perfectly the bears got absolutely dominated in the first half second half they came out and they lost by just three points so the point is the bears dominated the second half but it was also too little too late the reason i bring it up is because that bad game is still on the minds of these bears players okay it's just how it is and now ultimately we see that this game was a revenge for them that 2019 game was the first time that the Raiders and Bears had played since the Khalil Mack trade. And so I think that these players didn't just want it for themselves. They wanted it for Khalil Mack too. And that's why the rest of the defense came out and played at a high level like they did. Yeah. And the defense got ran all over in that 2019 game. And that they really showed out an improvement. I mean, in that game in 2019, Josh Jacobs ran for like over 120 yards. And had two touchdowns. He was he was running free most of the day. It just it, it wasn't even fair. And it looked nothing like the Bears defense. It was obviously they were in London, obviously. They traveled wrong from what a lot of the players and media were saying. They should have left a little earlier and they kind of left only a few days in advance where they should have gotten out there and gotten used to the time change, but they looked very sluggish from what everybody was saying. So yeah, they definitely needed that revenge game, especially to go into Las Vegas is brand new spanking stadium with fans, which most people were saying were Bears fans were outnumbering Raiders fans, which is hilarious. But regardless, they went to that brand spanking new stadium, basically made John Gruden retire. Just a joke, obviously not, but it was his last game, and Kalomak absolutely embarrassed him in his last ever game coaching. So it was an awesome game for the defense in general. It was they shut down one of the top offenses that was they scored easily on the Steelers. They, they were scoring nonstop. Derek Carr looked like a great quarterback. And then all of a sudden, they run to the Bears. It was, it was awesome. Just a great job by the defense overall. And when you talk about the defense, it's look, it's tough to judge. We know what this front seven is, but it's also kind of tough to judge what the secondary is doing because the secondary has had its bright moments. It's had its moments where you're absolutely like, okay, this team seemingly is, or this secondary unit as a group is just not good enough. But give me your thoughts on the Bears secondary because there were times where you're like, okay, Henry Ruggs and Darren Waller combined for, I think, six or seven receptions total, which is really good considering Darren Waller is the number one option in that Raiders offense. And then the other half of it, I also think, is that this secondary came to play. Yeah, there were a couple of miscommunications, but the secondary did go ahead and limit the big play. Yeah, the secondary played very well. Um, I didn't <clears throat> I didn't watch the entire game. Um, I, I missed some of the third quarter, but... I mean, Derek Carr had his worst outing technically, statistically. He had the second lowest amount of yards of the season. He had the lowest passer rating of the season by far. Didn't even throw a touchdown. Secondary had to have been doing something right. And obviously, they got a lot of help from that from the front four rushers, front five, whatever it was. They were all rushing the passer, creating havoc. But they had to step up, too. They had to stay in coverage. And it's not easy to cover guys like I mean, Brian Edwards is a big target. He may be like a third or fourth round pick wide receiver, but... He was very underrated coming into the NFL, and he's a solid wide receiver. Henry Ruggs, I mean, first-round pick, first receiver taken in that class, and he's an absolute speed demon. He's basically what the Raiders picked him thinking he'd be Darnell Mooney. And then you have Darren Waller, who's arguably, he is a top three tight end in the NFL, arguably probably the best receiving tight end in the NFL outside of Travis Kelsey. It's hard to stop that offense, and they have the great running back room of Josh Jacobs, Kenyon Drake, and Jalen Richard, who made his return this season after an injury. 
we did a very good job of shutting down those weapons. And a big part of that was due to the secondary shutting down those wide receiver weapons and not letting those running backs get out of the backfield, especially on like screen plays and getting them out of the open space. It was a very solid job overall. The tackling again, as usual, is pretty suspect. There were some pretty bad plays where missed tackles were happening due to as usual, Eddie Jackson, a few other players as well, but it looked better. It looked improved. And the secondary, I think just needs to establish continuity with Kendall Vildor and Jalen Johnson and having Deshaun Gibson back looked like it helped a little bit as well. Yeah, this secondary is, it's going to be tested over the next couple of weeks because, I mean, let's just be honest. There's times the secondary struggled against good teams. I mean, week one against the Rams was an absolute mess, and then things did stabilize weeks two, three, and four. Week five as well, you saw things stabilize more. I you could peg this as, hey, the Bears secondary is continuing to gel together. And maybe it was just a matter of chemistry because I know Kyle Fuller is struggling in Denver right now. I know the Bears moved on from Kyle Fuller. But at the end of the day, there's one thing you can't deny is that Kyle Fuller was the glue that kind of held this Bears secondary together because he was one of the faces of the Bears defense. Now, obviously, that role is going to guys like Jalen Johnson, who, side note, is continuing to develop into one of the top cornerbacks in the league based solely on the film. But this, what, what stuck out to me about this secondary is this, is that the Bears had just one turnover on Sunday afternoon, and even the one turnover was a Derek Carr interception. When you go back and you watch that play, there's two things that I said. I said, number one, it's a perfectly placed ball by Derek Carr. It just slipped through Byron Edwards' hands. But the number two, how instinctive was DeAndre Houston Carson to know and anticipate where that ball was, what time it was coming out, where exactly to be, and then when to make a play on the ball to come up with the interception. If you go back and you watch that film, you see Byron Edwards has basically one or two steps on Bears cornerback Duke Shelley. I know Duke Shelley's a bit of a struggle this year, but at the end of the day, I think we have to keep something in mind is Duke is a really aggressive player. That's one. But number two, I mean, the Bears tried to, have Marquis Christian in that nickel spot and they gave up after one game, which means that right now Duke's probably the better of the two and the bears front seven and pass rush are hiding the massive cavities in the secondary. Yeah. And to touch on Duke Shelley, I, I was very high on him. If anybody who's been listening to this podcast, I was high on him in the preseason. I'm still a high on him now. Like you were saying, he's very aggressive. He's a great, great tackler, which is, a very obvious big need in the secondary outside of Jalen Johnson. Nobody can tackle well. So having Duke Shelley there to make those tackles in open space on top of being an aggressive slot corner, the only people that really give him trouble are people bigger than him. Like, I mean, Brian Edwards is a big dude. That dude, dude's like six, two, six, three, like Duke Shelley is like what? Five, eight. Like he's obviously going to have trouble covering that guy. Like it's a mismatch. It happens. But when there's guys that are Duke Shelley size, he, or not his size, obviously, but at least relatively close to his five eight five seven stature, he hangs with them. Like when there's a six inch difference, it's gonna be hard for him to cover. But I do like him a lot that slack corner spot. And like you were saying, Marky Christian wasn't it. And obviously, we tried it; it didn't work. We could bring in somebody else, but that means we're just creating more, more of a, uh, more of a non continuity at that slot corner position. And then just people don't gel again. Like we need to keep that chemistry going. So keep him there. Keep Kendall Vador on the outside. Keep Jalen Johnson on the outside. And they're just going to develop chemistry and they're going to know when there's going to be less communications. When you change up the secondary as often as the Bears have, you're going to have those issues like against the Lions when Khalif Raymond was wide open down the seam. You need to have people that are in there constantly, know the play call, 
know how to read each other and know how each other rat reacts to certain plays. And it's going to work. Like, it doesn't matter how amazing everybody is. As long as you have an elite corner and a solid, solid other secondary, it's going to be fine. Well, and I want to add this on too. I mean, Marky Christian clearly wasn't it, but maybe the Bears look into something such as going out and acquiring or signing a guy like Trey Flowers, who was, who was only 26 years old, was cut by the Seattle Seahawks today. Or they go ahead and say, hey, Marky Christian goes bye-bye. Let's just promote Thomas Graham Jr. from the practice squad to give Thomas Graham Jr. the reps need because Thomas Graham can play in the slot. He can also play as a safety if you give him that opportunity to do so. So I think, look, overall, this secondary seemingly is gelling. It's taken some time, a bit more time than we expected, especially knowing that Every single player in the secondary right now that's starting, except for Kendall Vildor, was a regular starter last year. And then Duke Shelley started a handful of games here and there. Vildor had one start in 2020, his rookie season. But ultimately, it's just like the Bears' mid-round picks, the mid-to-late-round picks, are slowly beginning to make an impact. And I think another guy that wasted no time making an impact was running back Khalil Herbert because David Montgomery was out. Let's get your thoughts on the Bears running game before we get into Khalil Herbert here. Yeah, the running game overall was awesome. The run blocking was great. We saw, I know there was a highlight that kind of went, probably two actually that went, they didn't go viral on Twitter, but they got around Twitter of James Daniels absolutely mauling somebody. I, I think it was like a, a linebacker in the back line on a run play. And then Jason Peters had one where it looked like he missed a block, but it was a calculated missed block for set up like a screen type of play or like a draw. And he came back and absolutely just mauled somebody else. Like they, they are a mean aggressive offensive line that we've needed in Chicago for so long that it just set up this run game to succeed. Like obviously missing David Montgomery was sucked. Like there was a few plays where we saw Damian Williams take a carry and we're like, okay, Montgomery would have got a first down on that play. Like Montgomery would have gained more yards. That happens. That's what happens when you lose your starter. Your backups have to step up, and they obviously won't do as well, but they're still going to play well. And both of them looked awesome. Like, Herbert Herbert looks perfect for the scheme. Awesome. Damian Williams is an amazing guy that has experience and can take pressure off of Khalil Herbert, who's a rookie, and can also take pressure off David Montgomery when he's here as well. So we kind of were really set in place after last year when we lost David Montgomery and we had to ride into the next game with, like, Ryan Nall, Cordero Patterson, Artavis Pierce, and Lamar Miller. So we we obviously improved that position greatly, and we are running into this now next few games with a very solid running back room. Yeah, it has been a really solid running back room. And, and look, the big thing that really matters is that Sunday proved one thing. It proved that the Bears are going to continue to run the football. Is it a lasting and sustainable formula in a past happy league that is something to continue to monitor because i mean let's be honest like it's a pass first league at some point the bears are gonna have to realize hey we need to open it up and we can't just have justin fields throwing the ball 20 25 times a game we need him to throw more like 30 33 times a game to really have an effect on the game and to keep the bears in the game, but also running the football does allow you to play ball control. Now, the other half of it is this, is that Damien Williams and Khalil Herbert are massive upgrades at depth over players such as Lamar Miller, Ryan Nall and Artavius Pierce. 
side note, I still think Artavius Spears deserves a fair shot to make this roster because I do think he can be Damien Williams light. He does have enough first and potential as a receiving option to warrant developing into a running back three in a running back by committee approach. Um, but what sticks out to me about Khalil Herbert is that you're talking about a player who is basically a bigger running back, right? You look at Herbert. I mean, when I look at him, the first thing that comes to my mind is, okay, this is a player that's a hard runner, but this is also a player that is really compact. You know, he's going to, you know, he's going to be a bruiser. You know, he's going to be willing to take hits. I mean, he's about 5'9", 212 or 215 pounds, right around that range. So, he is a bigger running back that's going to absorb those hits. That's going to truck people. That's going to continuously keep moving. And so when we talk about, Hey, how does Khalil Herbert fit this offense? Well, guess what? I think that there's two ways. Number one, he certainly makes Tariq Cohen more expendable because Matt Nagy seemingly has this unhealthy obsession with using Tariq Cohen as a um, receiver, not necessarily as a running back, which is fine considering Cohen's speed and receiving skills. And also if you put Tariq Cohen out there on the field, you are going to be making defenses think twice about how to game plan and scheme against Cohen. But then the other half of it is that Tariq Cohen does not have to be solely a running back anymore, right? That role can be reserved for Khalil Herbert. And Khalil Herbert, I think, has shown that, hey, he can be a player you can put into the game on third and ones, third and twos, third and threes, those third and shorts, and expect him to pick those yards up. But I also want to note this. There were a couple times on Sunday the Bears were faced with third and ones, and unfortunately, it was Damian Williams in the game, not necessarily Khalil Herbert. So moving forward, Damian or I'm sorry, Khalil Herbert needs to be your third and short back until David Montgomery is ready to go. I wouldn't necessarily say that Khalil Herbert makes Cohen expendable. And the only reason I say that is because I think Cohen has carved out his own role. I think Herbert, if anything, makes Damian Williams expendable. I think Herbert kind of has really carved out a role into being a really good backup running back, if not a possible starter in the league already. He already displays incredible vision. And you talked about it yourself. He doesn't only run with the absolute power that he has packs inside of that compact body but he also runs with incredible burst and speed into the open field he's a very good all-around back and i think in a few years honestly he can make david montgomery expendable as crazy as that sounds i think with development he could become a top running back in this league he he has everything you want in a good running back with the receiving skills the size the strength the speed he's built like a modern day nfl running back right now and he's that cheap running back that you need to have on a roster like Teams that extend running backs normally make a mistake. You see teams like the Dallas Cowboys, they're already regretting that Zeke extension. The Carolina Panthers, McCaffrey hasn't played much since that extension, and they don't have as much help for Sam Darnold on that offensive line. And on their defense is oak is solid, but they, that money can be spent elsewhere. And you see Derrick Henry and the Titans. The Titans have been struggling now. Derrick Henry still, again, he's an absolute monster. He deserves to be extended. He deserves that kind of money. But these days, that like you were saying, the running game is being phased out of the NFL. And it's more so being used to give a break to the quarterback. So I think basically what my point is, and bring this all back, is that you can't have enough cheap running backs and you can't be extending them. So to have David Montgomery on a cheap deal, Khalil Herbert on a cheap deal, Cohen, yeah, he did get that contract extension, but he has more value than being a running back. He's that punt returner. He's that wide receiver, as you were saying. When he gets that ball in open space, he's not only 
somebody who can catch a ball and gain some yards. He's super shifty and hard to tackle, and he is a threat that teams need to watch out for. When you line up David Montgomery or, or Khalil Herbert out wide as a wide receiver, you don't get that same effect. When you see Tariq Cohn out there, everybody has eyes on him. You know when he gets that ball, he's an absolute lightning bolt with the ball. Yeah, and, and you know, really having that hard runner is important. I will say this is that one area where Herbert needs to really grow is going to be as a receiver. So if he can, and as just as a pass catcher in general, because production doesn't justify everything, but if you go back and you look at Herbert's college career, I mean, receiving was not a strong suit of his, but he's also said this like, hey, look, I'm basically going to be ready to go wherever the Bears need me and however they want to use me. And so Herbert's potential right now is through the roof. And I said this on our YouTube show. I'm going to say this again. Um, by the way, the YouTube show's up. Go check out Fireside Bears on YouTube. Listen to me and Max fully recap this game. Instead of just talking about like key points and storylines like we do on the show. But the point is this, is that Khalil's, when we go back and look at this 2021 draft class, I think Herbert's going to be the one player that makes a strong case for being an instant impact rookie. And that moving forward, what it's going to, his quick emergence. And as he continues to emerge down as the stretch kind of comes up here is that what you're going to see is more and more of Khalil Herbert alongside Montgomery and Williams. And then I think what just what's going to happen is the Bears are going to very quickly realize that, damn, you know what? We don't need players. And this isn't me saying cut Ryan. Nall. I'm just saying like there's not necessarily going to be a role for a player like a Ryan Nall or maybe even Artavius Pierce. It's all just going to depend on how the roster shakes out in um, 2022. Yeah, I think like I was saying kind of before, I think the Bears are mainly just going to phase out Damien Williams again. Love Damian Williams is a great asset to this team, but you really need to build for the future. And Damian Williams is a veteran. You would like to have younger running backs. Tariq Cohen's already locked up. David Montgomery's your guy. You want a third running back in there, and you're either going to pick the guy who's aging and kind of has already hit his peak and is kind of going to be on the decline soon, or you have a guy who's young and is basically going to be a second-year player next year. You're going to take Khalil Herbert. Again, he doesn't have the receiving value that Damon William has, but it's definitely an, a, a uh, trait that can be developed fairly easily. Herbert has displayed good hands. He's shown it before. He just needs to improve on his ability to route run and knowing when to release, when to chip, basically coming on third downs and be able to do that. So I think he's slowly be phased into doing that this season, and then by the end of the season, they're going to be fully ready to have him as their third down guy, their second running back to Montgomery. And then Williams will be gone next year. And with your point to Ryan Nall or Terrence Pierce, I think they're practice squad players anyway. I think Ryan Nall is kind of just there to be pulled up maybe uh, certain days for game days if somebody gets hurt as just a special teamer. And Terrence Pierce is kind of the developmental uh, running back three. If we ever move on from Dave Montgomery and keep Herbert, then our running back room could consist of Herbert, Terrence Pierce, and then another guy like Tariq Cohen if Cohen's gone as well. Honestly, my opinion is this. If you're going to keep some of these running backs on the practice squad, then you need to move on from Ryan Nall and just bring in C.J. Marble. The reason being is because C.J. Marble from Coastal Carolina, he is a very hard runner, and he was actually on the Bears roster too, by the way, before he got cut as a part of the 53-man cut or the cut down to 53 for training camp. But the reason I bring up CJ Marble is because he too is like six feet tall, about 215 pounds. And so being a much bigger running back, his play style is very similar to that of a guy like Kalu Herbert. And 
what you're going to see there is these bigger running backs, as the weather continues to change in Chicago, they just continue to excel more. Also, you're deluding yourself if you're not realizing, quit flexing the guns on me. You're also deluding yourself and not realizing that Ryan has been here for, what, three or four years, and he's basically been a preseason star at this point. He's not had any significant moments in the regular season where you go and you say, oh, yeah, you know what, that's a player that, we can build around or that can have a role on this roster. I'm also going to add this one. Please do not come at me on Twitter. Okay. And be like, Oh yeah. Well, Ryan Nall is a player that can be a fullback. Cause let's just be honest about something. If you have Ryan Nall as a fullback, then there's absolutely zero reason to have a player like a JP Holtz or a Jesse James on this roster because players like JP Holtz and JP Holtz, especially are the ones that have been, in that kind of fullback H-back role for the Bears over the last couple seasons. First, I was not flexing. I was adjusting my pillow on the back of my neck. Second, but that's what makes Ryan Nall so valuable. So, again, he's been on the team for three years. Yeah, he knows the offense. He can fill into basically any role on special teams. He can go in anywhere. If a player goes down and they need somebody to step up, Ryan Nall's there. He can play anything. If they need a fullback, again, we were missing J.P. Holtz this week and Jesse James. They were both out this game. Brian Null stepped in and played fullback. We, we, we needed him. It was very nice to have him back there. Nobody else has that fullback experience. We needed help on special teams due to the fact that we had Dave Montgomery out and we couldn't have Khalil Herbert on as much special teams because he was running the ball more. That's why we kind of also traded for Jakeem Grant. But regardless, Ryan Null is an asset in terms of special teams. I mean, it's like it's basically like having Sherrick McManus on this team when he was on the Bears team for so long. He never played on defense. He nearly never got a defensive snap, but he played every single special team snap, and he was a value. Ryan Null obviously doesn't have the exact same value as he's a practice squad guy, but as soon as a player, whether in the running back room, the tight end room, the cornerback room, Null can come up and he can play their special teams role. He can play the fullback role. He can play the running back role. He fills a need. I mean, it, his his versatility is what makes his, his value to this team. You know, I totally forgot that you mentioned, or I totally forgot that Jakeem Grant even existed because I think that's something we need to talk about before we get into Hurst hot takes here. But I thought Jakeem Grant's Bears debut on Sunday it didn't blow me away by any means. But then again, it was still better than what we're used to seeing from punt and kick returners. Yeah, and it was his first game. Came on a short week of practice. It was kind of a last-minute trade. It's not like he was uh, acclimated to the special teams plays that we were running or anything like that or the schemes that we were running on special teams. So for the fact that he was coming on a short week, hasn't been practicing with us, I thought he looked solid. And he's a threat. I mean, he's extremely fast. He's explosive. He's going to have some sort of value to this team, and he's going to carve out that role continuously throughout the season. Yeah, I mean, it, look, you saw this very apparent, and I definitely thought the Bears blocking on special teams could have been a bit better. I also am just one of those people that has not been overly impressed with Chris Tabor's special teams units over the years. Has this unit done a better job through five games in 2021 than what we're accustomed to seeing? Yeah, but then again, it's just like the Bears have also invested a lot into that return man position. I mean, I was at training camp back in July and August, and I saw Darnell Mooney back there returning punts, and I'm like, that's a dumb idea. And then 
we obviously see guys like Khalil Herbert returning punts too. I mean, the first game of the yeah, first game of the season, Bears first kickoff, they're receiving the kickoff from the LA Rams. And well, what do we see? We see a big return from Khalil Herbert. So the Bears have invested a lot into that. You also have Daz Newsom on the practice squad, who is a player that is labeled by UNC beat reporters that I talked to as a really tough, gritty receiver, a speedster, a guy that can be an asset in the return game. But ultimately what it comes down to is this is the bears have settled on Jakeem Grant. Now it's not a matter of Jakeem can't, Grant improving. It's just a matter of, Hey, can the bears be better around Jakeem Grant in order to really justify maximizing the value and the draft capital that was given up. That was a 2023rd six round pick. I know people are going to be like, okay, it's only a six round pick. Well, Hey, guess what? Everyone talks about how Ryan pace is better in rounds four to seven than he is in round one at all. So ultimately it's just like, if he's still here in two years, you could look at it and say, damn, that 2023 six round pick is more valuable than most people think. I think though, I, I mean, yeah, obviously, six round picks are valuable to Ryan Pace, but I think he's going to provide a value this season that we very much needed in the return game. I think the signaling of us trading for him means that we're going to see more Khalil Herbert in the offense, even with Dave Montgomery healthy. And it also signals that Tariq Cohen isn't fully healthy yet. So we do need that kind of guy that can line up at wide receiver like Tariq Cohen once did and scare a defense like Tariq Cohen does, where he gets the ball and he could easily just explode for a 90-yard touchdown on a simple screen play. So I think at the time right now it is necessary, and I think that he could eventually replace Marquise Goodwin and Demir Bird both if he stays healthy this season and he shows his value. I think this season is really going to be a trial for him, especially due to his past with his injuries. So I obviously we're going to have to take a, take a look in a few years and see obviously what if or what happened and kind of, break it down more, but for now, we can't really say if it was worth it or not. That's definitely true, but hey, listen, it's my favorite time of the week. It's Hurst Hot Sakes. Listen, last week you talked about Justin Fields throwing for like 270-something yards and the Bears winning. Go ahead and give me a hot take for week six because it is Bears-Packers week, and Packers Bob is all over Twitter, adding a lot of us Bears writers, reporters, podcasters, and analysts to his list of about to see a loss this weekend, which I'm on that list. If you're not, I'm sorry. You're just not elite company. Yeah, I guess I'm not a league company. I don't know how I haven't been added. I mean, I only talk about the Packers much on Twitter anyway, unless they're on TV and it's about my boy Robert Tunyon. So honestly, all I ever do is compliment them, obviously, then and talk bad about Aaron Rodgers and how he hates his family. But um, yeah, so obviously my hot take last week didn't hit. I saw I'm on a two, two game losing streak. Um, I'm going to get a little more simple for this week. And my hot, not like simple, but a little more. Uh, little less like uh like obviously my first week was okay joe burrow needs to throw three interceptions like it was very like very rare i think this one's going to be a little easier to hit i think it'll be justin field's first ever multi-touchdown game he throws at least two touchdowns and the bears get a win against green bay which might not seem like a super hot take but when the bears only beaten green bay like three times in the past whatever outings it is a pretty hot take okay the first things first we have to acknowledge is the bears have beaten the packers what Three times since 2015, which was what, six, seven, eight years ago at this point. I mean, there was the John Fox upset at Lambeau Field spoiling Brett Favre's jersey retirement ceremony. And then there was the surprise win. I think it was in 2000. No, it wasn't 2016 or 17. It was 2018 to claim the division. And then 2019 and 2020 weren't 
even wins for the Bears. So yeah, two times since 2015. But I think it's significant, your hot take, because hey, Justin got his first passing touchdown last week, but he has yet to connect with Allen Robinson or Darnell Mooney for a passing touchdown. I mean, everything that we saw the earlier parts of the season was basically Justin Fields coming in on specific packages. Now, the reason that I mentioned Justin Fields having a multi-touchdown game is because I think that Justin's going to get to a point where we see the chemistry with Darnell Mooney and Allen Robinson continuing to grow each week. Sure, the production might not reflect it, but we also have to keep something in mind is that players like Mooney and especially Mooney, Mooney's all about the big play, which means that if he gets one reception for 77 yards and a touchdown, that's more valuable to Mooney then three receptions for 77 yards. Okay. Averaging right around like 25 yards per reception. Ultimately, we have to factor something into is that you saying the second part of the hot take, okay, the bears beating the Packers. There's a lot of injuries right now on this green Bay team that we're not even talking about, by the way. I mean, David Bakhtiari, a long time left tackle and one of Aaron Rodgers' best friends is out still on injuries reserve. Hasn't been activated yet. And then you talk about the secondary Jair Alexander is one of the best cornerbacks in the game. One of the best man cover cornerbacks in the game Green Bay still deciding whether he's going to get season-ending surgery or whether he could return at some point this season. I think what the Packers are going to do is they're going to opt to say, hey, we're not going to play Shayer Alexander on season-ending IR. We're going to keep him around and just be hopeful that he's back in time for in case we do make the playoffs. And then another aspect to understand about this Packers secondary is that cornerback Kevin King, who's cornerback two or three right now for Green Bay, he's also injured. So really, you're going to have Eric Stokes, Darnell Savage, Adrian Amos. Those are going to be your top three defensive backs against Green Bay. So it's very possible that the Bears wide receiver group and the Bears aerial attack here does have the upper hand. Yeah, and another point as well, I believe I believe Elton Jenkins is hurt too. I thought he didn't play or he came out against the Bengals. That's another important offensive lineman for that team. So yeah, like, like you were saying, those injuries are piling up for them. And Eric Stokes has looked solid so far as a rookie. Um, he quote unquote made a good play on uh, Jamar chase that stopped the touchdown. It was a enormous underthrow by Joe Burrow that Jamar chase absolutely burned Stokes and Stokes after the underthrow Stokes broke up the play. And everyone thought it was unbelievable that he stopped the, Best wide receiver prospect in the last five years or whatever. But regardless, it was a bad throw, and he made a solid play on a bad throw. But he is still has looked decently solid for a rookie. So with that secondary banged up, um, I believe one of the Smiths is hurt too. I, I thought Zadari Smith got hurt at the beginning of the season. I don't remember if he's still hurt. I, again, I haven't been following the Packers injury report much because I could care less about what they're doing. But, um, yeah, like you were saying, this banged up defense, this banged up offensive line that got – that was giving Aaron Rodgers a lot of trouble early on in the game against the Bengals. Bengals defensive line was kind of scaring Aaron Rodgers, making him make bad throws. He looked pretty bad to start the game. He looked like he looked like he looked in week one, but the Bears can get that pass rush on Aaron Rodgers and they can double cover Devonta Adams, which they definitely need to do. Jalen Johnson's chance to just follow him across the entire field. If he's in the slot, if he's on the outside, whatever. And the Bears can get an offense going where they get a few touchdowns. It's a definitely winnable game, as crazy as that sounds. Honestly, this is, and we're so used to the Bears being in a 4-2-5 nickel defense. This is just going to be one of those games where you're going to have to go dime defense because, 
look, Aaron Rodgers, we know what Aaron Rodgers is. We know that he's buddy-buddy and has really good chemistry with his best friend, Randall Cobb. And then you look at Green Bay. I mean, they have solid receivers and players like Alan Lazard as well as Titan Robert Sunday. But the reason I say the Bears are going to need more dime looks on Sunday is because you're going to need to double-team Devontae Adams at all times. That's probably going to be to Sean Gibson and Jalen Johnson doing that to slow Adams down. And then Eddie Jackson's just going to have to be back there playing cover one the entire time. So you're just going to need an extra defensive back. And then just rely on Robert Quinn, Khalil Mack to um, get after Aaron Rodgers and provide some sacks. And I think the Packers having to play with a makeshift offensive line is going to make things much easier on the Bears. But listen, before we get out of here, man, I'm I mean, let's take five or six minutes. Give me your score prediction, but give me something you're watching when looking at Bears-Packers this week. So the first thing I'm really going to be watching for the Bears-Packers is how the Bears defense is going to approach this offensive line. Because like we were saying, I actually checked. So their center is banged up. I believe he came out of that game early uh, against the Bengals. Elton Jenkins is banged up. Bakatari saw out. Really interested to see how Sean Desai comes out with his defense and what he does to mix up and kind of give Aaron Rodgers some trouble. Um, I hope it'll be his first real big contest outside of the week one game against the Rams. It'll be his first contest since he's kind of improved as a coach. So that's going to be very, very important. Shutting down that offense is going to be the biggest part of this game. If they can do that, their defense is an amazing. Our offense can get a run game going, get some quick, easy passes. We can put up some points. My score prediction is that the Bears win this game 24-13. to 13. I was going to say 14, but I'm going to say, no, you know, we'll say 14 because, yeah, there's no way Mason Crosby makes field goals, right, after last game? I mean, listen, the last time he missed multiple field goals, he absolutely bounced back, and his leg was one of the reasons the Packers ended up winning. But I think one of the things I'm watching for is obviously Cairo Santos and his, like, what, 32 or 33 straight field goals made now. Hopefully he's closing in on Adam Vinatieri's record this season. No, but jokes aside, I'm looking for an offensive shift or a shift in the Bears' offensive philosophy. And what I mean by that is I'm not saying completely abandon the run, but I also want to see Justin Fields test this makeshift Packers secondary with deep throws. Okay. That's what I want to see this week because no Jair Alexander, Kevin King's questionable. Eric Stokes is a rookie. Sure. You have Savage and Amos, but Hey, when are you going to let Justin Fields really open it up? And the bears are opening it up a bit more week by week, but at some point you just have to unlock the door and then throw the key away and never look back. And so that's what I'm going to be watching for. I'm going to say this. I think that, Green Bay is going to present a tough matchup when you look at the last two teams that have played against the Packers, which has been the 49ers and Bengals. They've both made mistakes of giving the Packers and Aaron Rodgers way too much time. So your ball control philosophy is going to play a big part here or your ability to control the football, keep the game out of Aaron Rodgers hands. That's totally fine. But then I think that it's going to come down to the wire. It's going to be a nail biter. So I'm going to say that Aaron Rodgers strikes again and that the Packers win 31 to 27, but the thing is, is that the Bears go down in dramatic fashion, and quite frankly, them going down in dramatic fashion rather than getting absolutely blown out is something that a lot of people are just not used to seeing because it's been a while since we've seen a really competitive Bears team put up a fight against the Packers. I mean, it seems like it's been more than a decade at this point because last time the Bears were putting up competitive fights against Green Bay was the Brian Urlacher, Lance Briggs, Charles Tillman, Julius Peppers era. So like 15 years ago at this point, when I would come home from middle school every single day and sit there with a bowl of cereal on the couch and watch NFL Network the entire night. 
I can't believe you're predicting the Bears go up that much points. Come on now. You don't have any faith in this Bears defense. They just had a great game against the Raiders. What are you thinking? I mean, I'm thinking it's going to be a tough matchup, but it doesn't mean I also don't believe in the Bears. So the analyst in me saying 31-27 Green Bay, fan in me, um, and I'm going to be an analyst first and a fan second. The fan in me says that the Bears also have everything it takes to win this game. They One of the big keys, though, this is the analyst perspective kicking in, is that the Bears are just going to have to be more physical at the line of scrimmage throughout the game to legitimately increase their chances of winning the game. That's fair. I mean, it definitely is leaning towards the fan. I mean, that says the Bears are going to win this game. I think obviously picking the Bears to win is a hot take, but I have to back up the hot take. So I have to predict the Bears are going to win, right? Yeah, definitely. Anyways, guys, that's going to do it from us. Make sure you are following myself and Joe on Twitter at Usaid Kosho and at Joseph Herf NFL. Be sure you're following Fireside Bears on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, TikTok, and Instagram at Fireside Bears. Our co-host Sam Stevenson is going to be back next week after like a three or four week hiatus because of lacrosse practice. Side note, Sam, if you're listening to this, Joe's already has it penciled on the agenda next week that he's going to need to have a mandatory sit down with me regarding Jesper Horstead and absolutely embarrass me on the podcast. I just see Joe grinning right now. But anyways, guys, like I said, that's going to do it from us. We'll be previewing Bears Packers more extensively on Thursday afternoon on our YouTube channel. But bear down, guys. We're going to get out of here. I'm going to go fall asleep. Have a great rest of your week. And yeah, enjoy this weekend if you're going into the city. And if not, it's okay. Also, shout out to the people that recognized me when I was at the grocery store. And they're like, oh, you're the guy from Bears Twitter. We love reading your content and stuff. And that's how you know you're making it big and doing a great job when other people are praising your work. But anyways, peoples, bear down. Have a good one.